Welcome to the Billingshurst Family Church Podcast. For more information or to support our work in Billingshurst and the surrounding areas, please visit billingshurstfamily.church. Right, I've got a question for you then. I know we've got the, the notices out of the way. A question for you. Did you find it a struggle to come to church this morning? No? That's all right then. Well done, all you lovely positive people, but I know there'll be people here this morning for whom getting up, getting here this morning was hard, was difficult. Um, you know, maybe as, as many of you have said, you were happy to come to church today. Maybe everything's rosy. Maybe the sun come up and you think, wow, what a beautiful day. I can't wait to get into the presence of God and to come and worship my brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, how amazing is that? Maybe, you know, you could be in either of those camps this morning. It may have been really hard to get here this morning. It might have been easy. Now, maybe things are hard right now. Maybe life's difficult at the moment. Or maybe everything's rosy. We're in our Philippians series again, looking at joy, what Jesus offers you, um, which will come up here momentarily, hopefully. It will. <laughs> um, so we're going to start off by reading the passage, which is we're in Philippians 4, chapter 4, verses 10 to 23. So you can find it in your Bible. If you've got a proper Bible, book one, please find it there and follow along. Um, it will come up here, or if you can find it on your uh, app, phone app as well, that would be great. I think it's really important that we follow the word through together. It's also a nice bit of challenge to find books of the Bible. Um, so let's read chapter 4. I'm reading from the ESV. It says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for these letters that were written 2,000 years ago to churches just like this one. And um, I just thank you, Lord, that you want to use this today to speak to us afresh. And I pray that this morning, Lord, you'd be speaking through me, using my words, Lord, to get across what it is you want to say to us this morning. Thank you, Lord. These are not just, you know, we don't believe these are empty words. We believe that you work in us and through us, Lord. So I pray you'd use me this morning to speak to us all. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So this passage then, is a, it's coming right at the end of the book of Philippians, this letter to the Philippian church uh, by the Apostle Paul. And um, he starts off, as he does so much in this book, about rejoicing. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Now at length you've revived your concern for me. This chap called Epaphroditus who got mentioned, he'd gone all the way from the church at Philippi up to, up to Rome to meet Paul, probably Rome, up to meet Paul and see him in chains and take a gift from this church uh, to bless Paul, to bless the mission of God to the Gentiles. And uh, Paul is excited that they've, they've seek to support him again, support the work uh, that he's doing. You know, at this moment in time where he writes this letter, Paul's probably in chains, um, you know, in chains for the gospel. And uh, he's probably got a Roman guard either side of him, keeping an eye on him, checking him, making sure he's not escaping or trying to do anything uh, that he shouldn't be doing. And uh, so Epaphroditus comes to him to support him, to bring this gift and to help. Um, and Paul talks about this fact that in whatever situation he finds himself in, he knows that he needs to be content, he knows, and he knows how to be content. Whether he's got loads of money or loads of good stuff, or whether it's in the really bad times where he's starving and hungry, he knows what it is to be content. You know, he knows how to be humbled, how to be brought low, and how to abound. He knows how to work in whatever situation to know contentedness. There's this wonderful verse in verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I don't know about you, I love that verse. I think that's one of those wonderful, powerful verses in the Bible that we hold on to for years and years. Those of us who have been Christians a long time, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Um, Wonderful truth. Um, And Paul then goes on and talks about how um, when he started the work of the gospel, started going to the Gentiles, that this church at Philippi had been supporting him and helping him, um, and they were the only ones who did. And there's a church who helped them repeatedly, helped him repeatedly, supporting his work. And he says, he says this wonderful thing, not that I seek the gift. You know, the gift wasn't important to Paul. What it was important was to see the maturity that it showed in this church at Philippi. Um, to show you, know, it's actually, I don't seek the fruit, I seek the gift that credits your account. Um, and uh, so Paul's excited by this church that are supporting him. Um, and he talks about how this gift was an act of worship. Um, and uh, you know, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. This wonderful Old Testament language that is talking about this. Actually, it's, not about the, it's not about the content of the gift, but it's about the sacrifice that you've made. And that's where this act of worship is from. And he says, you know, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Um, which is an amazing reassurance uh, for this church. And finally, he ends sending greetings as is customary on these sorts of letters uh, from those who are with him. And he fi- signs off with the grace of, our Lord Jesus Christ, of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Um, and uh, it's good to end on grace. There's so much in this passage uh, that I could dwell on, I could sit on and, and preach from, and it could end up being one of those sermons where I end up standing up here for far too long. Um, and so I'm not going to do that this morning. I've given a quick overview. Um, there is one thing here that you, will, you know, those of you who are, who are like me will be a bit like, <gasps> he spoke about money and giving and gifts and stuff. Um, I'm not going to go into that this morning. Um, but I am going to come back to it on the 29th of March. We're having our, uh, our first gift Sunday for a couple of years. Um, and it's just, I'm going to be talking about giving and generosity and about our act of worship 
uh, as a church. And um, I'd really love for you to put that in your diary and get along and um, just hear my heart for what it is to be a generous people, a generous church, and how that affects us. Um, but this morning, I, want, I think God wants to speak to us. I believe in, in, in something inside me just to say, I believe God wants to speak to us about contentedness, about what it is to be content, this secret that Paul has discovered. Um, so in light of our series, What Jesus Offers You, Jesus offers you contentedness. He offers you knowing content, being satisfied in him. Um, so I guess it's worth asking the question, you know, what do we need for a contented life? If I say, what, what would a contented life look like for you? How, what, would that make, what would that bring to mind? What would that make you think of? You, know, you might think of needs in life. All right, you, the very basic needs, food, shelter, and warmth. Water, perhaps, probably goes under food. But food, shelter, and warmth. All right, that's what we need to survive, isn't it? Yeah? We need that stuff to survive. We need that stuff just to exist. But does that give us contentedness? If that's all you had, would you find yourself content with food, shelter, and warmth? What about people around us then? Okay, what if we've got our needs met? And what about having people around us? Community, family, um, you know, friends, people around us. You know, is it just needs and community? Do we need the basics and people around us? Does that give us contentedness? Does that make us content? If we've got our basic needs met and we've got a family around us, people around us who love us and care for us? What about acquisition of wealth? What about getting, getting stuff? And money, um, does that fulfill our need to be content? The more stuff we get, do we end up happier or do we end up, it just ends up carrying on? Where there's always the next thing. Um, you know, can we ever be content by accumulating stuff? Well, all I can say is it hasn't worked for me. And, in, and the other thing that hasn't worked for me as well is I've accumulated loads of stuff over the years and then every now and then I reach this point where I go, you know what, I've got too much stuff. And I need to get rid of some stuff, and that will make me happy. Um, yeah, I've tried that. It doesn't work. You know, I've gone through these habits of accumulating loads of stuff um, and, uh, and then getting rid of everything, and I just find there's no contentedness to be found there at all. It's more like a swing between two points. I sort of go from one side, say, yeah, more stuff, more stuff, that'll make me happy, that'll make me happy, that'll make me happy. And I get to the edge of like a pendulum... And then it's like, no, no, this isn't working. I need to get rid of all the stuff, get rid of all the stuff, and go all the way over here again. And actually, there's still that motorbike over there that I'd really like to get. So I'm going to go back over this way. Um, you know, you feel like getting rid of the stuff makes you content, and then something else comes up. It's like, ah, oh, I want that thing, and that will make me content. And it just doesn't work. You know, we just end up swinging between these two points. Um, you know, getting more stuff or getting rid of stuff doesn't lead to contentedness. You know, you might, as I mentioned money this morning, you might be thinking, well, money, is it good or bad? Um, you know, it might be the opinion this morning that seeking to grow wealth is a bad thing. You might think of Jesus' teaching, all right? You know, oh, it's harder, it's, it's harder for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. We might think it shows a lack of faith in God or a need to serve money. You know, money is the master. 
You know, after all, didn't Paul say the love of money is the roots of all, root of all kinds of evil? 1 Timothy 6.10, he says that. Is that Timothy? He does say that, yeah. But gaining wealth in and of itself is not evil. Having blessings, having, you know, some money in the bank for a good day, for a bad day, and stuff like that, and even enjoying things of life. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not evil. If you like you know, motorbikes or minis or sailing or whatever, there's, not, there's not, nothing evil in that, provided it takes its right place in our lives. And it doesn't become a snare for us. It doesn't become a distraction, a false idol for us. Those who might remember Dan's preach the other week spoke about this ephod that, uh, that Gideon had made to celebrate the victory. And it became this idol it took the place of God in the life of the, the Israelites. <coughs> Your money shouldn't be something that takes God's place in our lives. So where is the contentedness from? Where do we find it? Paul tells us that he's learned to be content in all circumstances. In times of plenty where he's been abounding, you know, times of abounding, where there's been, he's had, he's had plenty, he's been all right, he's had a you know, good amount of money probably, uh, all is well. He's also known how to be content in times of need. When he's been starving, he's still been content. So if you look back to our needs, our basic needs, even when he's been without those, he's known what it is to be content. You know, by the time of writing this letter, there was no sense of the wealth or the good times or the hardship of the needy times having any impact on Paul's uh, sense of being content. You know, there's clearly something other than how good or bad the situation is, how much money's in the bank, how many houses we own, or how bad the situation is, how dire it is, how we're suffering, we're struggling, things are hard, and yet Paul still knows contentedness. He's still content even in those situations. So it's clearly not the stuff or the things we put our value in uh, to give us identity or or, um, to give us security in life. There's something other than situation that Paul is holding on to. There's this common view in the the secular world at the moment, and I think it's in the church as well, uh, a lot of the time, sadly, that the source of our contentedness, where we find our source of content, has to come from within ourselves. Yeah, we have to look at ourselves and go, you know what, you're valuable in your own right. You know, it's it's not, not untrue. But that's not where we find our contentedness. We'll never find it there. Um, there's a real danger, I believe, in basing our sense of identity and our contentedness from our emotions and feelings. There is a real danger. You know, it's like anchoring everything on a moving platform. All right? I don't know if you've ever... I remember once as a kid, uh, we were down on holiday in the Witterings, and we went down to the beach, and we always had to go onto the, the beach on the head end because we had a dog. We weren't allowed on the bit where all the other, you know sunbathers were and we had we went to the sandy dunes and there was this one day where we uh, and it, the tide goes out remarkably quick down there and um the water's relatively shallow for the most part and i remember swimming out with a friend of mine we swam all the way out to this boy this floating boy and you, we got out there it's like wow this is amazing um but you're trying to hold on to this thing that's going up and down and its mo- position changes every moment 
Um, and that's what it's like when we put our, our, our trust, our hope in our feelings and our emotions. Because from one moment, you make a decision when it's up here, and the next moment it's down here. It's changed. It's shifted. It's a moving thing. Our emotions and feelings are exactly the same. Um, as it was, we waited on the buoy. We held on to it while the tide went out, and we ended up walking back up the beach. Um, it was a great day, one of those moments I'll never forget. Um, so I'm sure my mum was sitting on the beach panicking at how far out we'd swum. Um, but uh, but it, was, it was good. It was good fun. But that's, but that's the danger of basing our identity and our sense of contentedness on our emotions and our feelings. They move. They change. You make a decision and you feel different afterwards. You make a decision based on how you felt at one point, And then five years down the line, you go, why did I do that? And there's this sense in the world at the moment that oh, you, can't, you can never say a decision you made was a bad decision. You can never say, oh, that's the wrong thing to do. And sadly, it can be. You know, feelings and emotions aren't stable things to base our lives on or our identity, something as important as our identity. You know, was Paul basing his sense of contentedness on his own emotional peace or on something else? Paul learned the secret to contentedness. And so we too have to learn it over time. Paul doesn't say, oh, yeah, yeah, I came to Christ and everything was sorted. It was all resolved. I was amazing after that because of Christ in me, the hope of glory. I was sorted then. No, he learned it over time. So don't be disheartened this morning. You know, there might be some stuff that I've just said. You're going, oh, oh that, that is what I thought. Um, don't, be, don't be disheartened because this is something that took Paul ages to get. And we've got plenty of time and there's plenty of grace for us as well. There's this wonderful passage of Philippians 4.13, which I've read. It says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You know, Paul says that he's able to do all things through Christ who gives him strength. Paul's realised, if you look back in the letter, that it's not about breeding or heritage. If you look at Philippians 3.5 onwards, it's not about the inheritance of the, the, the Israel, Israelite people. Um, it's not about um, his breeding. It's not about his training. It's not about fulfilling the law either. Paul addresses that in this letter. You know, don't, don't, go, don't get distracted by trying to fulfill the law. So that's not what it's about. It's not about having little. It's not about like, being a monk or a nun and taking a vow of poverty and going, I will have nothing for the rest of my life because that way I can only focus on him. That's not what it's about. It's not about having much either. It's not about abounding, having loads of stuff, having loads of money in the bank, you know, private jets for pastors flying across the United States. It's like, why? That's not what it's about. That's not what it's about. Where's our contentedness come from? Where did Paul's contentedness come from? Well, I think we probably know the answer. Loads of us in the room have been sitting here going, Craig, why don't you just tell us the answer? It comes from Jesus comes from Christ. That's where his contentedness is. That's how he can face any circumstance, because it comes from Christ. It comes from Jesus Christ, our Messiah, our Saviour, our Lord, our King. It comes from knowing our identity is in him. It's not in the blessings. It's not in the downcast moments. It's not in the moments of trial. It's not in the moments of suffering. It's not in the moments of blessing and, and you know, this outpouring of, of wealth and stuff like that. No, it's about him. It's about Jesus Christ. 
And Paul knows it's all about Jesus. Jesus is where he finds his contentedness. Whether in the times of trial or in the times of abundance, he knows it's all about Jesus. And he can face all those situations. So often the times of, um, the times of blessing and abundance can so often be the hardest times to call on, to, to know your identities in Christ. Because it's there, it's an allure, it's tempting to base your identity in that stuff or to get your security in that stuff. Paul says, no, I know what it is to be content in all circumstances, whether it's in the time of plenty or the time of trial. You know, when we face trials, you know what? It's all about Jesus. It's all about setting our eyes on him. Even in the midst of trial, you know, what trial might you be facing this morning? It might be relationship problems. It might be money problems. It might be problems with the children, problems at school. It might be problems at work. It might be lack of work. It might be some sort of issue in your life that you know you shouldn't be, shouldn't be getting involved with, but you are. And it's a real trial. It's a hard time. You know, when we... You know, in that time, it's all about Jesus. No matter where you are today, it's about him. Look to him. He's where we find our contentedness. When we face good times and plenty, when we have the family we want, when everything seems rosy, that's not where you find your identity. That's not where you find your security. That's not where you find your contentedness. You find it in Christ alone. Wonderful song, In Christ Alone My Hope Is Found. Yeah, it's not in anything else. It's not in the stuff. It's in him. So let me ask again, where are you this morning? Are you in the place of plenty or are you in the time of trial? You know, let me get this one thing across to you. It's not about the trial. It's not about the plenty. It's about Jesus. It's all about him. He's the one who gives us our new identity you know, we are in Christ. It's all about him. Now, I'm aware of Philippians 4.13 is, is, is a wonderful passage, wonderful sentence in the Bible. You know, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Um, and I'm just aware that sometimes this can be taken a little bit out of context, a little bit out of, you know, what, it, what Paul was intending. You know, you, there's... We, um, we often talk about the fact that there's nothing impossible for God, right? There is one thing impossible for God. There might be others, but there's one thing that is impossible for God, and that's for him to go against his own character. The God we know, shown in this, in the Word of God, in the Bible, we, this is a truth. This is truth, okay? This is something for us to hold on to, because God won't ever go against his character. You know, there's nothing in this, earth, in this world that God can't do and sort out, but he's always going to do it in line with his character, And some can t- take this Philippians 4.13 and use it to say, you know what, I want a Ferrari. And, you know, nothing's impossible for God. And I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So therefore, I am going to get myself a Ferrari. Because Jesus said that I can do it. Because he will give me the strength to endure and to get through that. You know, that's, that is not 
what this passage is talking about. Right? It's not saying if I really want something, that because nothing's impossible for God and Christ gives me strength, I can get that thing. He's talking about being able for all things. Fantastic book by um, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, Spiritual Depression. It's one of these um, uh, amazing books of the last, last century. And uh, the last two chapters in it are based on, on these passages. And he says that what, what it's talking about is saying, Paul is saying he is able for all things. Okay? He is able to stand firm and know contentedness in Christ in all circumstances. God will give him the strength in all circumstances to do what he's telling him to do, to do what God is telling him to do. Paul is able to endure all things because Jesus gives him the strength that he needs to endure and to stand firm. He has, Jesus will give him the strength to stand firm in the good times, to keep his eyes set on Jesus, and he will give him strength in the hard times when we need to endure to keep our eyes set on Jesus. Paul finds his identity is kept in Jesus. Jesus is in the right place in Paul's life. So Paul has reached contentedness in all circumstances. Even in chains for the gospel, he writes about, I rejoice over you. He is full of joy even though he's in chains. Even even though he's in the hard time, he's rejoicing. And that's because his eyes are set on Jesus. His eyes are set on the author and perfecter of his faith. So let me ask, where's Jesus in your life this morning? Where's he in your eyes this morning? Where's he in your life today? Are there things obscuring him from your perspective? Are there things that you're going, is is the, the prosperity or the trial becoming the biggest thing in your world? Or your eyes, is that the thing that's in the way of you seeing Jesus? Let me tell you, he hasn't moved. He hasn't moved away. He's still there. But sometimes things take our attention away. And we end up setting our eyes on the stuff rather than the king. Where's Jesus in your life this morning? You know, are there, is, there, is there something in the way? Jesus is still number one in your life, but you're getting distracted by something else and you can recognize that. Or... Is there something else that is the number one thing in your life? Is there something else that is your priority? Is it your family? Is it getting your, the things you want? Is it uh, the trial? You know, is it taking your identity from the trial? You know, we might worry about putting Jesus as the number one. It feels hard to move things that we hold valuable, to move them aside and to put our hope of finding contentedness in Jesus. That can feel really hard because there's things that we've held on to for years a lot of the time, giving us a sense of identity, a sense of security and said, yeah, you know, I'm happy, I'm content as long as that is there. And to let go of that and turn your eyes to Jesus can feel like one of the hardest things you can do. It feels hard to put your trust in Jesus who you can't see. If you're like me and face the temptation regularly to have stuff around you so you can build an identity from it and go, well, you know, as long as I've got that, things are all right. If, that's, if you're like me and that's your temptation, um, then, you know, to put your trust in Jesus who you can't see, who you read about, you might know when you're praying or in worship, but nevertheless you can't see him. 
That's really hard. It can feel really, really hard. But let me say this. You know, Jesus went to the cross so that you might know him. He lived the perfect, the model of, model, perfect model of life for us. He, he was a perfect model of what life should be. For what it's like to walk with God, to be obedient to God the Father in all circumstances. From having crazily expensive perfume poured out and used to wash his dirty feet. Massive time of abundance. To knowing the suffering of his trial and crucifixion. Also that we might be his bride today. That we might be his church and that you might know him. When we see that Jesus went through all of that the beatings, the humiliation, the being nailed to the cross. So that we might know him personally and as a gathered church. That should give us courage to hold on to him. To put the distractions aside, set our eyes on him. Maybe we set our faces like flint on our Messiah, on our Saviour, on Jesus Christ. That should give us the courage to trust him in and for all situations. Paul discovered that there was a strength within him. He was self-sufficient in as much as he didn't need any outside help. He didn't need anything else to give him a sense of purpose or identity or hope. He had learned self-sufficient in as much as it was through knowing Christ in him, the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27 says, you know, Galatians 2.20, one of my most favourite verses in the Bible, it says, it's no longer I who live, but him who, Christ who lives in me. All right, Paul still lives, but it's Christ in him. Right, that's where his sense of sufficiency comes from. That's where his sense of contentedness comes from. It comes from Jesus who is in him. It's about identity, Knowing uh, him, knowing belonging, and knowing that the strength that God gives through Jesus is enough for whatever situation we face, whether it's times of trial or times of plenty, he is sufficient for us. You know, it's about cultivating a deeply intimate relationship with Jesus through prayer, knowing the scriptures learning in community, worshipping God by the power of the Holy Spirit, walking with God day by day. And this is where we discover true contentedness. C.H. Spurgeon, the Baptist minister of the 1800s, said this, I came across it last night, and something, he feels that there's something wrong if even half an hour goes by without prayer. Picture a man walking with God, Speaking to him, listening to him, um, just moment by moment. Half an hour is a pretty sh- short sense of, you know, space of time. But it's by walking with God daily in the, in the moment by moment, that's how we discover true contentedness. And I love the way this book goes to close. Uh, in, in Philippians 4.19, it says, you know, My God will supply every need of yours. When we worship God... We make sure he's number one in our lives. When we turn and give everything to him, when we seek to get our strength, the good times and the bad in him, just as Paul did, we will know our needs met. We will know God's provision of strength in all circumstances. So 
Let me ask again, where's Jesus in your life this morning? Are there things obscuring him from your perspective? Are there other things that are number one, in the number one place in your life? In a moment, we're going to have a, a song to reflect on what I've just brought. Um, but today's the day to decide afresh. You know, is there something obscuring him? He hasn't moved. Is your attention elsewhere? Or does he need to become number one in your life? So we're going to reflect on that and then during this song, if the band want to come up, that'd be great. Um, we're going to reflect on that during a song. Um, and then there's opportunity today to pray and get prayer. Um, there are people here who would love to pray with you and I'll hand over to Nick in a minute to, to lead us through that. But I just want us to remember one final thing because it can feel like what I've said this morning is like you've got to sort it out and that's not the case. All right? There is a degree to which, yeah, we need to take some responsibility and turn to God and choose to do that. The last line of this whole book, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you, be with your spirit. It's by grace that we are saved. It's by grace that we live. So don't feel, don't feel beaten up. Please don't. I hope that hasn't come across. But it's by his grace. All right? We're going to get this wrong. I can promise you that. If I can promise you anything, it's that we're going to get it wrong. Um, but walking in obedience is, you know, when we get it wrong, we come back to him and say, God, I'm sorry I got that wrong. Forgive me. Help me talk with you afresh. That's how simple it is. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that in you going to the cross, taking our sin, our shame, dealing with it there, giving us new life, life of abundance, Lord, of knowing your presence, knowing your gifts, knowing your love. Lord God, in doing all of that, you made it possible for us to know true satisfaction, new contentedness in you. I just thank you, Lord, that this morning, even today, we can come to you afresh, even though our eyes might have been taken off you and distracted from side to side, that we can come to you afresh and say, God, I want to set you as number one in my life afresh. I want to make sure that in whatever circumstance I'm in, whether it's in the times of plenty or the times of trial, that my eyes are set on you. And Lord God, I thank you that by your Spirit you can release us this morning. By the power of your Holy Spirit you can bring a change in us that... Uh, it means that we can take our security and our contentedness from you. We can find it in you because we are in you. We are in Christ. We are new creations, Lord. And I just thank you for the truth of your word and the freedom that you afford us. In Jesus' name, amen. As I was um, worshipping and um, just praying off to the side, I just just a sense of realisation that saying, turning to God, just turn to Jesus, set your eyes on him, can seem like a, it sounds like really simple, but it can be really hard. And some of us might be sitting there thinking, oh, I don't quite know how to put that into words this morning. Um, so I'm going to pray um, in that vein of turning to Jesus. And if that's you this morning, just say amen with me. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll go from there. Yeah, Lord Jesus, I know that there's things in my life that are a distraction for me, that are taking my eyes off of you, 
I see that I'm putting my trust in, in things that um, aren't trustworthy, things that move, things that change. And I thank you, Lord God, that your word tells me that um, you are safe, you are secure, you're like a, a tower of refuge for me. So, Lord God, I choose now to set aside those things that are distracting me and to look to you. I choose to set my eyes on you, Lord God, uh, you, Lord Jesus, because of all that you've done for me, because of the love you've shown for me. And I know that you can be my strength. You can be my assurance. You can give me the fullness of contentedness, Lord, in you. So I set my eyes on you afresh, Lord God, and I pray that you'd help me to walk with you. You'd help me to know your strength and help me to be obedient to all that you're calling me to do. And I pray that in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.